Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations. This is Hashem Muntasir. On today's episode, we're joined by Dana Bo Ahmed, who launched her own label, Dana, nearly 10 years ago. Her designs are what she calls effortless chic, aimed at working with traditional and sometimes luxurious designs, but for the modern woman. Dana was born and raised in Saudi Arabia, something that influenced a lot of her work. I'm an Aramco girl, if that means any relevance to anyone. So it's a lot of relevance to me for sure. Yes, for sure. Since my wife is <laughs> yes. one of the Aramco girls. So, 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 so you get it. I get it. You get the culture, you get the, the terminology. So yeah, we, we lived in our little world. Um, so yeah, I was born and raised there, lived there all my life, uh, went off to university in Bahrain. What did you get your degree in? I started off as computer science. Okay. Uh, and I worked for Mother Aramco for a good period of time. Mm. And then I decided, okay, you know, let's do something different. Let's think out of the box, like get out of the box. And I did a degree in interactive media in the UK. Um, at the time, it was quite a bit of a... Yeah, yeah, I wa- yeah, I wanted to keep it something creative, but still there had that technical aspect of it. And at the time, I don't know whether it's a generational thing or whatever, we always feel obligated to stay within the things that we're used to doing or where the path we feel we need to go. So it was like, okay, computer science, but it has a little bit of um, creativity to it. So I think that's that's the path I chose. Um, so yeah, I did that. I went back to work for Aramco. And then when I was already exposed to that world, it was kind of hard for me to just settle back into what I was used to doing. So then I started looking for other opportunities. While in London, Dana started taking some fashion courses as she continued her master's degree to see if it was a path she wanted to explore. And that helped her realize that what she wanted to do was to create. I wanted to stick to fashion. Okay. Uh, it was a really nice experience at the beginning when I was kind of toying with the idea of let me start something online, start a boutique, whatever, because it was just exploring the different brands out there and what's out there. And, you know, and lots of brands that I actually was exposed to at the beginning um, just kind of doing through research and stuff. Yeah, now I've saw some of them, you know, have gotten quite big. So, I mean, I, I always feel proud. You know, I remember I saw these yeah, people. Yeah, you follow, you follow I follow these people, you know, on, you know, Shoreditch High Street, and I saw these people in whatever market, and now they're in Selfridges and all that. So that was interesting, but it's just part of my path and part of the journey that I took. But no, I felt it was, it was rather than, you know, when I would go, because, you know, as, as a buyer yourself or, or as part of your business, you sure. see different things you're supposed to. Sure. But still, it was, okay, this is really interesting, but what can I do? Yes. And that was, uh, that's kind of how I went, it, fell into it, let's say. So by 2010, she started exploring creating her own fashion brand and leaning towards launching her own label a couple of years later. So it was a really small collection. It was very simple. It was mostly like jerseys and oversized T-shirts and, you know, with a little bit of, element to it and I, and I always consider it although it was you know it was a nice collection I thought sure. uh, totally different than what I do now but also I take it it was part of the, the learning experience so I was like okay let me start small to figure the, this out as a business of course yeah. were you inspired by any particular brand or style or were you just like was it or was it the things that you wanted to wear that you didn't find in the market? I mean, one of the I think challenges is what's the starting point yes. because you know fashion is so yeah. vast well, look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't even know if you know, I should say this as a fashion designer, but I wanted to try start with what was simple. Okay. I wanted to try with what was fine. simple, uh, what I could do that would be relevant, but I would get right. And I think that has been the key throughout my, my whole business, that I always want to get it right. So I didn't want to take this leap into something that I'm still not so familiar mm-hmm. with, 
yeah, I admit I was learning. I knew what I wanted to do, but I needed to get there. And whatever I wanted to produce or whatever I wanted the brand to offer, uh, for me, it's always it had to be offered well and it had to be made well. And I think that's always been my focus throughout. So quality control. Quality control is a big thing. I mean, honestly, throughout the years, some people were like, okay, well, why make a big fuss? But that's always been my thing. And I, and, and that's what I stick to. So sometimes I kind of own things down because I, I like to get it right. And it's always quantity, quality over quantity. For me. And then, okay, so you put out your first collection. Yes. Did you then just sort of send it to friends and ask for feedback? No, I mean, what I, was the I, process? I was really lucky because when I started the first collection, I was living in Riyadh at the time. And it was a very simple collection. And there was a woman that lived in the compound I lived in. And she actually had a fashion showroom. And it was, you know, our kids went to the same school and it was just, you know, a very friendly, friendly relationship. Yeah. I didn't even know she had that business. She didn't know I was doing that. And then once it was just uh, a coincidence, I was just like, oh, it's great. I'll come buy a drink coffee. I'll see what you have. And she introduced me to someone who had a boutique and which was one of the best boutiques in, in Riyadh. And I can still say that hands down. Amazing. And, and, and Yanni, it was, it was, I was very lucky. And you started selling in that boutique? I started selling right that away. boutique exclusively in Riyadh. So I felt very fortunate. And, I, and I, I consider that a big milestone in my fashion journey. Because I think if I started and got picked up by nobody, it would have been very frustrating for me. Because I was just learning. It was just starting out. So that just getting that foot in. And I'm very grateful to this person, to this boutique. And then the focus was on women. This was something conscious, yes. right? So you knew you wanted to design, at least primarily for women at the yes. time. There's, as we of course all know, certain stereotypes that come with being Arab, certainly being Arab women, and especially being Saudi women. Um, was all of that coming in, or was that something you didn't really concern yourself with? Look, honestly, I think it was a subconscious thing, sure. because it's who I am. And I always design for who I am, what I am, where I'm from, and, 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 and the women that are like me in the world. Okay. But I think it does come out. It subconsciously, it definitely does. In, in the cuts, in the way it works. But I don't like sit there consciously say, okay, this, and, and some people do this. It's yes. not my process. Yes. And I say, okay, this collection, I'm going to focus on this region in Saudi and I'm going to get inspired by that or I'm going to do. It's normally, and, I, and I've, I've, I thought about this a lot, it's normally a memory that I would have. Interesting. It would be a memory that I'd have, something that was registered in my head, uh, an experience or a situation I've been in where I didn't have anything appropriate to wear. These kind of things. It's, it's movement, it's mobility. Um, but there is that influence, for sure. And it has to be, you know. Sure. Well, what's what's going to differ, you know. Yeah, there has to be differentiation. Yeah, right? from, from everyone else. But it's not in such a... Studied. Studied, structured uh, way. That's my process. Um, a lot of it is just me remembering. How, and I'll go back to Aramco, for example. We lived in a bit of a, a bubble. And back then, you know, everyone kind of dressed the same. And our mothers bought the same thing for all of us. And the mothers were friends and we were friends. So it was always we went like outside the gates, let's say. And we went downtown where we you know, where I'd see my aunts and I'd visit my uncles and we'd actually go to the, the Sug and all of that. And it sounds very ironic that I'm Saudi and I'm speaking like I'm an expat, but it was kind of like yeah, that yeah. when we were kids. And, and it just felt so glamorous and glorious. So this is, you know, we wanted to kind of add something different. And I realized as I got older, it, it, that stuck with me. Mm. And there's certain things that I just try to bring back 
I try to bring back. And right now, where I am, I'm always bringing back things that were relevant to me in my life. Maybe later I'll be expanding to other regions of Saudi, exploring this and exploring that. Um, but what it usually starts is just like a trigger, something that triggers. And then I have a WhatsApp group with a very kind of tight uh, group of friends that we sometimes, you know, I just we say, I'm like, do you remember this? You know, what did that mean? And then it could end up in a very frivolous conversation of us trying to translate what it meant mm. at the time. But it, it's not really frivolous because we're interpreting what it meant to us. And then, you know, the conversation usually ends up as, okay, I need, we need to look this up just mm -hmm. to kind of figure it out. So we ask our mothers, we look at books, but, you know, what was this for and why did we do that? And, and so there's certain things that were very relevant to my life and what I used to see that I, I interpret very subtly mm -hmm. in what there I do. There's a historical context that you yes, feel it, it comes yeah, in. It's, it's very subtle, you know. Um, that, that's, that's, you know, some people may see it, may, some people may not. Mm. And maybe that's what I'm trying to get because it's, I, I would like to be for the worldly woman because I do focus on women, you know, and it's all about how they feel and how they move and, and, and their confidence. But I, I, I have my story. So to see that crossover and not be so obvious that a woman have, would have to look yeah, from another part of the world, have to look completely eccentric to where yes. what I make, that's kind of where I am. And, and you know, to me, as an out from an outsider and as a man, I mean, uh, when I look at some of your collections, it also seems to me the element of working women comes in. So, I mean, I look at, for example, my my own wife, who's who 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 who's a, who works, and so do you. And I feel many of your collections reflect that that the clothes are um, elegant, but in some ways, not all of it, of course. But the design is for active working women, or maybe just active women. No, no, a thousand about, percent. A that's something percent. you. Yeah, a thousand percent. You know, you want to be comfortable. You want to be functional. And you want to have a bit of edge. Yes. And, and that's, that's the three elements that I always focus on. And then subconsciously within that, what threads in is where I'm from, who I am, and how that's interpreted into a very functional way. So there's this creative process, but then you're running a business. So there's the business side of it. Typically, in many cases, we see a lot of um, uh, entrepreneurs like yourself struggling with this in the sense that they might be creatively uh, uh, very inspired, mm -hmm. but then there's all these mundane things that go with starting a business. I mean, you know, how, how do you manage the two? Because they, they are both essential to a function no, of a critical. business. They're yeah, not critical. Only essential, they're critical. It is a business at the end. Um, you know, I wish I could just create and you exactly. know, see my product and say, yay, it's great and move on. But there is a business to it. Some things are fortunate. It's, it's fortunate that, no, I'll start with unfortunate. It's unfortunate <laughs> In a, in a way that I started this off a bit late yes. than other people have. There was some maturity maybe that was there. Right? Yeah. But what, what was very fortunate is I got to experience two environments that really benefited this as a business. I was in a very completely, very structured environment in the first part of my corporate career, let's call it. And then the second part of my corporate career, it was very chaotic uh, you know, very, you know, last minute, middle of the night, deadlines. So so mixing all of that and then adding the creative bit to it, I think was an advantage to me because I can see both sides. Mm -hmm. I do have to make decisions. I do have to create budgets. I do have to make sacrifices. I do, As we all do when we're starting a business, um, you know, I need to see growth. I need to see, you know, return on investment. I need to see that. I can't do things just for the sake of doing sure. them. Does the creative process get lonely sometimes? So I also, you know, similarly run a, a, a startup or a business and I have a partner, I'm lucky, uh, several partners in fact, and I find that um, 
that has helped me a lot. And it's hard because so much of it is in your head and it's hard. A lot of the day-to-day stressful elements, if you don't have someone to share them with, it's difficult. How, how do you manage that aspect? Yeah, it, no, it's very difficult actually because there's, there's, there's a lot, it's all about making decisions. Sure, all the time. All the time. You're always making a decision, whether it's creative, whether it's business, whether it's personal, it's all your know, life as an entrepreneur is always about so making So have you decisions. considered bringing in partners or you feel you, you just got this down now? No, no, I have. No, no, I have. And I, and I will, mm. inshallah. Just, I think, but there's always the thing that's holding me back, the sense of control. That's one thing. And because it's, the way I do work is so non-conventional in terms of timing, in terms of what I do, that I just don't know how that's going to, you know, I'm going to bring someone up else that's going to kind of understand that but i think eventually yes if you would bring someone in would it be i'm just out of curiosity more to to fill gaps that you feel you know complement you or so for example i look at uh, um you know my partners and i feel that we complement each other in the sense that my interests are slightly different than theirs and then as a whole it makes for a stronger business um i think if i had someone very similar to me it would be challenging because we'd kind of double up, but some, for some people it works really well. So, I mean, when you think of, would it be sort of, well, you know, I have this, let's say, strong creative process, but I mean, maybe need more, more help on the operational side. Let me bring more of an ops person. I mean, is that how you think yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Okay. It's, it's ops, it's someone to compliment, as you said. Um, it's someone to help, to, to, to kind of just bounce ideas off of and make decisions. Because sometimes as a creative... Sometimes even if you know an item might not work, you love it so much that I'm going to do do it anyway. You're too close to it. Yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I'm going to do this this season, you know. But I think there needs to be something other than my inner voice saying, let's do something else. You know, this worked last time. Let's build on that rather than just, you know, doing my dream pieces. So I I do that every season. You know, I'd have something that I spend so much time on that I know eventually it's not going to be the seller. It's going to be the thing that's really nice to look at. Um, so yeah, it's just small things like this, I think. We'll be right back. Hi guys, this is Hashim and I wanted to share a little bit about The Lighthouse from where we bring you this new podcast. The Lighthouse is a restaurant, gifting store and activation space, all rolled into one. And our aim is to bring together creatives from around the region to share a meal, a cup of coffee or simply hang out. From time to time, we'll be sharing some information about what we have going on, a little nugget about the food, our gifting items, or an event we are hosting. So if you're ever in the design district, do swing by and say hi, and make sure to follow us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE. Welcome back. I'm Hashem Montasser, and you're listening to The Lighthouse Conversations with our guest, Danabo Ahmed. Dana talks about having three careers her full-time media role, her design label, and being a mother. And I wondered if this is something she intends to change. You know, many people are like, oh, they think I do this on the side or I don't do this on the side. I'm like, no, I don't do anything on the side. I do everything 100%. I have a career, career, career. They're all three, you know, I give, but it's, it's all about prioritizing. You know, I can't take as many risks. I have to make some sacrifices before I take part in anything that's new. It has to be thought of a thousand times. Yes, and it yeah. involves travel and yeah, yeah, logistics. Yeah, it involves, involves so many things. So I would like to have the luxury to just jump in it and, and you know, be the risk taker. But because I have a lot of factors to juggle, and so you know, I have to be a little bit more... Uh, strategic. Strategic, let's say. Just from my own personal experience. So I was someone, as you well know, that was a banker for a long time. I used to work within a company. When I started thinking about The Lighthouse and doing something different, for about a year, it was in my head... 
And then I decided, I realized that I couldn't do both. I, I had to leave my old job, actually take some time to just think only about this and then launch it. Now, you clearly have decided to keep both. You have your, your day job and then you have your business. Um, is that a conscious decision? And you think there will be a moment where you say, you know what, this business requires me to be full time. It's, it's a challenge. Um, but you said something really interesting. You said, get to that point. Now, the business has grown very organically. So it was, it's, a, it's been slow pace and it's been organic. So it wasn't like, I, okay, I need to jump into this to do that. And as I mentioned earlier, I was always learning, learning, learning. You know, try, there was, I made some mistakes, trial and error, whatever. So, so to, up to, and, and I actually like my corporate job a mm-hmm. lot. It's, I'm still learning from it. It still gives back to me. I still, you know, it's still a good experience. So I haven't got to the point where I'm burnt out from that aspect. But from the aspect when you say, okay, I, I can't do both. I need to let go of one. It's a conscious, I know that eventually I'm going to have to let go of one. And but you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. Mm. I didn't get there yet. And it's a conscious decision. So, you know, as we mentioned earlier, there's some things that I have to sacrifice. And some of the sacrifices is growth, you know, is growth. Uh, but I'm not there yet. And I think once I get to the point, then I'll be able to make a decision um, on what it is. And I think many people who have to make that decision, uh, from my experience, people I spoke to, they were having a lot of challenges in the corporate Correct. arena, Correct. you know. But so, you know, so far, it's, it's you know, it's, it's been rewarding on, on both levels. And some people say, you can't do it. Well, I can, and I did, you know. And like I said, it just comes back to prioritizing and sacrificing. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so it's probably going to continue to do so until I reach that point. Mm-hmm. I think the whole message is, Yanni, some people feel a little bit of pressure to do certain things. And yes. I think I kind of came to the realization, Yanni, and I don't have to... Well, honestly, you know, and I didn't say this. I don't know if you want to add this, but Tara, it's 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 an outlet for my frustration also because when I'm having a very difficult time at work, Tara, I mean, you might know this as well. When you think about it, you're like, "Fuck, this is it," you know. So when I yeah, so when I know that there's there's you know I have something else that's growing and and it's going to be there for me, and you know whether it's kicked off in you know the amazing way it should be or hasn't, that, that that that's my me time. So you brought up uh, uh, the fact that you're a mother. So your son grew up in that environment having, obviously, I think a great role model of a mother that obviously, as you said, has two jobs, essentially, if you add him, that's the third job. How did you manage that? And I mean, did you try to make time for him? Um, There are things that are separate or do you sort of bring him up in your world and you feel that he's learning that way? Because all of us as parents... Yeah, yeah, he's been dragged around a lot. Yeah, well, we yeah. all have done yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he's been driving a lot, lot of fairs, lots of factories, yeah. lots of, you know, retailers, all that. I mean, yeah, he looks bored, but I would like to, but I think now that he's older, and, you know, this might kind of apply to your kids, although your kids are very curious and interested, uh, I feel it registered, yes. and he asks questions, and he knows that there's certain things that are attainable to him that he can do because of what he's experienced with me and what he's seen. So it's it's not such a mystery to him. Even now, you know, if I'm stuck with that, he would suggest, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Even if it's going to take more time from me or for me to be away more. And even one time, sometimes I have trips. And, you know, now he's 17. I actually discussed it with him. I was like, you know, this came up. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? And he's like, go. You know, so, is he, so we don't have that, you know, I just want you to myself and that's it. He, he, he gets it. And, and, and it's, it's nice. 
I think some of our listeners, many of them hopefully are aspiring entrepreneurs. And, and, and what has been the biggest challenge in that sense from a purely business perspective? What, what is something that you feel that, you know, um, you may have overcome, but it's not been easy? <laughs> Name two or three, just out of... No, it, it's very difficult. On the creative side, you want to do so much. I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to incorporate... But at the end, you know, I want to do this embroidery, I want to use this kind of fabric, I want to use thousands of fabrics. But at the end, you really need to kind of make sacrifices, cut it down, hone it down, because it has to make sense as a cost. Yes. And as a price point, you mean for Yeah, your- a price, as a price point, as manufacturing cost. And then, you know, for example, my brand, I, I have a certain price that I never want it to exceed because I want it to be attainable. So that's my goal. Other people have different goals. So it's always, try, you know, trying to manage that. And where do you source your materials from? At the moment, Turkey. Okay. Turkey, I'm, uh, Turkey, a little bit from Italy, but I'm always... So I would imagine that's sport. the largest driver of your cost, right? Well, I started the whole manufacturing process in Turkey. Okay. Uh, so it was... a. Now I'm kind of bringing it back here, but okay. but all my fabrics I still import, okay. and that is a big cost. Yes. I mean, even shipping is a cost. You know, these small say. things that you have to really think of uh, are actually big in your. And then you bring them because you sell in a multiple of retailers, right? There's a, a number of boutiques yes. you sell in, mm-hmm. and then you sell online as well. I sell online as well. So okay. it, just so we understand the process, so does everything come here to you, and then it gets. Yes, first yes, it does. Okay. Yeah. So everything comes to you, you sort of do a quality check, and then you send v- various items to those different... Yes, dis- based on their orders, based on their selections, based on the agreement between us. You know, sometimes I know the aesthetic of the shop I suggest. So, sometimes, you know, they buy what they want. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much the process in terms and of... And how has your experience been with, uh, with e-commerce, which is obviously a big driving force uh, everywhere, but also struggled for many, especially smaller... Uh, designers because you know you need a big budget and it's become very difficult to break through the noise yeah, on social no, media how do you how do you deal with that part well again you know it's it's a mix between two you know i'm in stores sure and then online honestly is where i'm i'm going yes which is where i want to which i you know what we want to grow um so it's but do you manage a part yourself I have people, you know, okay. that, that help me out okay. with that. But the, but the online is, no, it's a challenge. And it's a direct channel. Is it your website? Is it your Instagram account? I have, both. I have website, okay. uh, direct from the website. And then I sell via uh, other... Uh, e-tailers. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so people that are just purely e-commerce brands, right? No, no platforms. Platforms, that's what platform. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. different uh, platforms. Um, I sell through personal shoppers as well. Okay. Okay, okay. so that's that. And, and that's pretty much been the way to go. So one of the things we, 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 we think about a lot is, and even our business here at The Lighthouse is, for a lot of people, the experience is still important. They want to, A, sometimes meet the designer, but yeah. certainly come try different things out. This works, this doesn't. So that part of the experience is important. Yeah. Have you experimented, for example, with, I'm just, I don't know, yeah. people, for example, buying clothes online, but then they still have the physical part that they can come try return or no yeah i I do that maybe if i was going to do a pop-up let's say or if i was going to if someone wants to try something on i would guide them to the closest boutique that sells it um yeah it's a challenge it's a challenge i mean clothing online uh, especially when you're a regional brand um still but the thing is once i I noticed my customers once they start shopping with me then they get it so they know their sizes, they know the cut, they know if it suits them or not. So people who buy return. 
And is it fair to say that most of them are are they based in the region? Is Saudi the predominant force? I mean, is there Saudi's a, a predominant force? Predominant force. Yeah, yeah I'll straight out say that. Yeah. And and with everything that's happening in Saudi now, there's obviously a lot of changes. Um, how has that affected your business? I mean, this momentum that we're seeing there. Look, or so has, far there's hasn't been a, a direct impact, but now I think with what's happening, um, there's a lot more exposure. I would say. Yes. Internally. Because of these events that are happening, because of you know some out you know I was at Fashion Futures last week. Um, There's a lot of you know interaction, meeting. There's a lot of um, you know meeting different people, just putting faces on names on Instagram accounts and all of that. So yeah, I do see that happening. Um, that opening up kind of gives. I think it's more an exposure for now. So you you work from in terms of a. When inspiration strikes, essentially, and obviously within, I mean, you obviously have a, a corporate job, but yeah. so in terms of working on your collection and so on, there's not a particular, you don't sit every night from, I don't know, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. No, no, no. No, it doesn't work like no, that. No, no. Only in the mornings, I, I do that not from the creative process. It's kind of like the business, what I need to do next. The creative comes, you know, as it comes. But I do sometimes when I feel, okay, you need to sit down and properly, you know, organize these thoughts then I would set, like, let's say, okay, I need to do this by Saturday and I'll sit the whole day and whatever time it takes, yeah, not one day. But so, yeah, that's kind of, and, but, but the thing is when, I mean, you know this, when you're in the creative world, it's always what's next, what's next, so what's next. So the idea is already there, but it's just structuring it. That's what I need to make an appointment with myself to do. And just one final question on that. How do you differentiate then, because exactly, A, because it's always what's next, but also it's a business that's, very trend-driven, they change yeah. all the time. How do you know this is something that's timeless that you want to incorporate yeah. into your business versus, you know what, this is a fad. I'm not going to chase this. Do you trust your instinct? Do you, you know what I mean? Because obviously there's a lot of changes that yeah. are happening in fashion all the time. Yeah, for sure. Look, I trust my instinct. The aesthetic of my brand is somewhat yeah, consistent. Uh, and, you know, and then there's certain things that are incorporated here and there. But, you know, it's it's... And I think any designer would say this, and I think a person who said this wouldn't be telling the truth, that it, the influences come. It, it comes to you. You know, you don't, and it's, everyone's like this. They're like, oh, I thought of this and I just saw it, you know, but somebody else thought of it before you. And it's just, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a life cycle of creativity. You know, the ideas are just always being recycled, but sometimes it's more prominent. Have you been surprised about what sells and what doesn't uh, in the sense of you start a collection every year and then you're like, oh, wow, I didn't expect this to be the bestseller. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure certain things that you probably design that you know are aspirational might not sell a lot, but you're kind of just to bring up the mm -hmm. brand. But have you been surprised at what sells and what doesn't? Yeah, I think so. I used to be more surprised. Okay. You now, know how to expect it now. Yeah, but. now I can kind of pinpoint what's expected, you know, and then sometimes I would introduce something new thinking this is going to be great, but no, it is great, but it's just not, it <laughs> doesn't work as well. It wasn't, it wasn't work, didn't work as well commercially. And the feedback mechanism, is it directly from your customers or from your uh, retail partners or both? I mean, how do you get feedback? So you put out a collection. Yeah. What's your mechanism of receiving feedback? Well, I, I normally send it to people I trust in the okay. industry. Okay. So I always get feedback and okay. these people have been sending the, my collection since I started okay. and alhamdulillah, many of them always respond and I'm always like be honest be honest be honest be honest because I don't want them to say yay great sure. I do want I do want to have those comments from the, from these specific people um, then I send it to press also I had yeah I've okay. had my you know I've had my relationship with them just you know to see it and I know also what will be you know high priority press 
won't, won't be as so high because it depends on the collection sometimes, the season, uh, the aesthetic that with the magazine's going. So I do that. Um, and then I have a few close friends. I always, I, okay. I, 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 but that's before actually the, the collection's out. There's a few close friends that when I'm unsure, I would You'd send them pizza and say, take I'd a look. Say, what do you think? What tell do you me think? what you, and also, uh, as far as how functional it is, um, I would wear it around before it becomes anything. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I would wear it around. I would get feedback. I just kind of, you know, test the waters and just you know, see who says what and how I feel in it as well. Is there any differentiation between your, let's say, regional customers and non, so not, so maybe non-regional people from outside of the region? Uh, has that been something you've looked at? Well, it's an interesting question because there's certain things that any non-regional customers um, would buy that a regional one would. But what attracts overall, the key pieces are relevant to everyone. Okay. Because when, when it's something regional, it's something that they relate to, it's something that they know. And when it's yeah, someone more non-regional or global or whatever, it's something that's not available. Have you, or are you considering expanding outside of women's Uh, lines i mean i don't know you know men children accessories men always tell me to do do yes do please. men's yeah um but i think that's i'll be wearing of, it all around yeah, town yeah, yeah. and you can imagine the huge impact <laughs> my, my, my very own influence yeah, exactly exactly uh, i started off girl younger girls is what i wanted to get into okay interesting i did do a capsule collection just to test the waters with mm -hmm. that Uh, and I think I'm going to get into a bit of accessories, but fabric-oriented. Okay. So accessories, fabric-oriented would be for men's, you feel? No, I think at the start it's going to be for women. Okay. And then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll build on that. Because again, for me, it would be, you know, the design element of it, but I think to perfect it. And men, very simple, yet it has to be... Work. It has yeah. to work, yeah. yeah. Do you feel that that's a mindset... Being a, a, a woman, you feel that is constraining in the way you think about this, or maybe the opposite, maybe liberating, because you, you, I mean, what, you know, I mean, obviously, being a woman, as you said earlier, one of your testing grounds is wearing your own collections. Now, you'd yeah. not be able to do that. Yeah, with, yeah, that's, with, that's with something. Men. Yeah. How would you go about thinking about this versus women? I mean, in terms of, to your point, exactly things like comfort or. Um, I would probably have to, you know, bring some of my friends in and yeah. say, see what you think, because yeah. it's very important to me. Yeah. Uh, just to see, you know, to see lots of things I are get cut from the collection when I feel I, I just didn't walk comfortably in it or I just didn't get, you know, enough feedback, I think. Uh, so I think if it was, uh, yeah, I'd probably have to bring someone in, mm. you know, kind of go to ask a friend. So, so Dana, just, uh, you know, the, the fashion world, frankly, is known to be sometimes a little... I don't want to call it frivolous, but it can be, you know, socially very taxing. Uh, some of it is sometimes a bit on surface level, and people say the same thing sometimes about the art world and others. And we feature a lot of designers and artists and others. So when you're working on your collection, how do you tackle this particular point? In the sense, is, is there a, do you feel um, inspired by purpose? How do you feel that work gives purpose? Because in some cases, you can, can, can get lost in the fashion world and wind up just doing a lot of things and not finding oneself. So how do you, how do you alleviate this issue? Okay, well, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's challenging because we all have our moments of like, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, what is it adding to the world? You know, what good am I doing? So it's, it's always about me creating purpose for what I do. You know, as a woman, and we focused a lot, and we discussed this like as a working woman, uh, you know, I, I want to, to dress amazing women. 
And that's my purpose. Sure. You know, I want every woman that's actually doing something to feel empowered in your design. To feel empowered. And as as, you know, as frivolous or as silly or whatever the fashion world may seem to some people. And yeah, I could I could get that. Uh, but it, it really isn't because it, it, it's about how a person feels. You know, when you're dressed in a way that you like and you're comfortable in, it really, it really empowers you. And that's my message. That's how I, that's the vision that I have to go. That's what I try to do. But it's just, it means something to me when, when someone is actually out there, you know, going for it, wearing one of my pieces. You know, I love it when I see someone I have no clue who she is, where she's from, where she even bought the piece, wearing something, and it's happened to me. Um, you know, I get feedback from women saying, you know, I wore this to this and such conference. And I felt empowered. Yeah, yeah, I wore That's this great. to this conference. I got so many, you know, so many compliments because lots of pieces that I have, people are like, I don't know where I would wear this. You know, so I'd say, you know what, you can wear it anywhere. You know, you don't have to look a, a certain way, you know. And this actually, this was an example. A woman came to me and she bought these pants that were quite wide. And she's like, yeah, but I'm, you know, my job is very corporate. And I, I was like, well, you know, you can wear it. And then she actually sent me an email saying, you know, thank you. And that was great. And, and these are the things that matter. And, you know, and there was a statement that I heard actually just last week. And I will quote her and I hope I get her name right. Her name is Maria uh, Conejo from uh, Zero Plus. It's like a sustainable fashion line uh, based out of New York. And she said, she said, you know, my designs, you know, might not change the world, but the women wearing them will. And that really and it had an impact on me because that's exactly how I feel. I just didn't put it into so many worlds. Uh, you just touched on sustainability. You yes. want to talk about this for a second. How do right. you, that's obviously a very important subject. How yes. do you think about sustainability in terms of your own designs? Okay, well, this is a, kind of a tough one because I don't know how to categorize it exactly because I'm not a sustainable brand in the in the in the I mean the proper sense I would okay. think but I, I call myself a conscious brand. Okay. So I'm conscious of the fabrics I use. Um, you know I try to steer away of fa- as much as I can of fabrics that are considered harmful to the environment. Um, I like to you know when I'm working out of Turkey I I source from family owned businesses. For me it was it's a very conscious not like I just send it off. I don't know who's doing it, where they're doing it and what circumstances and then I get things back. So, and, and it costs me more to work that way. It does. And lots of people come to me and say, why don't you do it in China? And why don't you do it here? Sure. And I'm like, well, you know, I can, but that'll mean I'm not sure where it's being produced, how it's being produced. And I know a lot of items are going to be thrown out because they, they create so much abundance that it's just so easy for them to throw things out until they get it right. So the process takes longer for me uh, and it might cost me more, but it's just, I know every, you know, the ins and outs of, of what I'm doing. And, you know, and I know I'm, we're, we're keeping each other in business, sure. you sure. know, and, and so that's my conscious contribution to all and of that. And that becomes part of your purpose, I would imagine, It becomes well. part of my purpose, um, yeah, and, and, you know, things that I design that people buy, I would hope that would they would, you know, still be wearing next year and the year after and the year after, so it's not something that they would just dump. Well, before we wrap up, I think some of our, our listeners are going to be interested in this because since you do your, you have two jobs plus yeah. a third job as you said as a mother, yeah. there's not enough hours in the day for all of this. So walk us through your routine. When do you wake up? How do you structure your day? How do you, within all of that, find me time? How do you embed that? Is that a conscious decision? Do you just run in the bathroom, lock yourself in, <laughs> and spend half an hour? I mean, how, how do you manage? Well, it's, it's a, well, I'm an early riser. Okay. And, you know, since my son was born, I wake up with him. So, you know, I'm 5.30, I'm up. Okay. Uh, and so my day starts quite early. Um, my sleeping patterns are a bit odd. So okay. I'm, I can sleep and then get up and then start working in the middle of the night. I can stay up late. So, yeah, I mean, that's not the best advice. People shouldn't be doing that, but that's just what that's works for me. Do. That's how I do it. 
Um, and then obviously being my son, he's an only child and it's only him and I. So it gives me kind of leeway there, you know, sure. and, and he's very supportive. I'm very supportive. Uh, we, me time is, 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 is a tough one, (laughs) you know, because I'm always squeezing me time into certain things. I mean, even, even seeing friends, you know, even the other day I was just like near your house. I was like, Hey, you know, let's have a little bit less time, you know, for, for like, you know, 10 minutes. So it's different, but normally it's Friday. I think that's the day that, because, you know, my guys aren't working, uh, Son's out of school. Things are slowed down. So that's what would be it. It's it's time for me to catch up on things. Yes. But it's kind of in, at my own pace. So yeah, me time is a tough one. And but but uh, but it's okay. You know, it's not something I'm struggling with. I personally feel when I see Dana's designs and women wearing them that they exude a certain amount of confidence, and I'm looking forward to her exploring a men's line. If you'd like to know more or take a closer look at her designs, please visit Dana's website, danadesign.com, or find it on Instagram at danadesign. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Lighthouse Conversations. You can listen to all our episodes for free in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Remy, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us a review or reach out on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE. We'll see you in two weeks.